we're going to be reading out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. So uh, follow along with Kara as we read that section. And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw, there, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Thank you for reading that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for life today, and we thank you that we can gather in this place and sing your praises and to remind our own souls of your goodness, your patience with us, and your mercy. And Lord, now as we, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us to worship you for who you are and for reminding us that, that we are never alone because your spirit is with us. For that we thank you and we pray that you would, you would help us to never grow cold to the truth of the gospel and to the gift that you give your people through your word that you can guide us. So with that, Lord, please please bless us as we journey into your word and help us to be faithful to you as we glorify Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So you might know that we are in the midst of a series called Gospel People. And today we are turning our attention to the gospel and the lost. And when we think of a topic like the gospel and the lost... We should clarify a few things. Like, what is the gospel? Who are the lost? What does Jesus teach about both of them? And what does that have to do with me? Before we learn how Jesus' parable addresses all of that, I have a question. Have you ever searched the internet for a really good recipe? Okay, that's good. Kids, if you help your mom or dad cook, have you ever gone online with them to find a good recipe? I once searched online for a, a good chili recipe, 
and that one caught my attention. It had rave reviews, 4.9 stars even. So I went to the website because I wanted to see this recipe. Do you know what I found? At the top of the website, there was a picture of the chili. And then as I scrolled down further, I found a quote from a satisfied home cook who had tried the recipe and talked about how good it was. And then I read about the owner of the chili recipe who talked about how much she loves chili, especially when it's thick and spicy, but not too spicy. And then she talked about how thick and flavorful this particular chili was going to be. And then I learned how to properly freeze any leftovers. And then I learned the recipe owner's recommendations for what would go really good with this chili. Spoiler alert, it's bread. Or cornbread. Or tortilla chips if you're feeling adventurous. Do you know what I was never able to find? The recipe. The recipe is what I needed, and I was presented with everything but the recipe. That experience got me thinking about what it means to share the gospel. It's very serious. Because when you have opportunities to share the gospel, you can miss the main thing by sticking to safer or secondary topics. And it's true that many biblical topics are worthy of discussion, but the gospel is of the highest importance. It's what people truly need. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul says that he is unashamed of the gospel because the gospel is, verse 16, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And just like the chili chef who was too busy giving me the benefits of the chili and personal testimonies of of people who have tried the chili or how great my life will be if I ever taste this chili, I left knowing a lot of stuff, but I was still hungry because I didn't get what I actually needed. And just like that, it is possible and even tempting to discuss Many biblical subjects with people who need the gospel without ever getting to the gospel. And let me warn you of the worst part of this. It is dangerous to believe that you are sharing the gospel when you aren't. A person isn't saved because after talking with a Christian, she embraces some advice that Jesus gave about money. Or because after a discussion, she agrees with the Bible's teaching on sexuality. A person is saved by coming to Jesus in faith. The Holy Spirit will convict this person, sanctify her as she follows Jesus. What she needs is the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news that gives hope to the hopeless. In the beginning, God made the world good. 
And sin entered the world through the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve. And every person, including you, has sinned and therefore falls short of the glory of God. Every sinner, including you, has broken God's law and fails to live up to his standard of holiness. Therefore, you will stand before God and your eternity will be decided. But God, being rich in mercy, sent his only Son, Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. He lived the one perfectly obedient life, free of sin. And in his love, Christ chose to lay down his blameless life as a sacrifice for our sins. And God accepted Christ's self-sacrifice and vindicated him by raising him from the dead. And when you discover that it is a dreadful thing for a sinner to fall into the hands of the living God, and you call upon Jesus in faith, believing in him as the only one who can save you from your just punishment, hear this. God declares you righteous on the basis of Christ's finished work. You bring no merit, no good deeds of your own, but you come to Christ in faith as your Savior. By grace, you are saved. Your sins are washed away, and instead, you are given the righteousness of Christ himself. You are a new creation, no longer living for yourself, but for the glory of God in joyful obedience. And Jesus is a capable Savior. He can save even you. Jesus himself says this in John 6, verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That is the gospel, and it is what every lost person truly needs. And when I say lost, I mean every single person who is not trusting in Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. So now we come to our text, and we learn from Jesus as he paints a picture of the gospel through parables, a picture of both the gospel and of the lost. As we do that, we first need to understand the parable as his original audience would have understood it so that we can get the primary thrust of Jesus' message. Now, the followers of Jesus are present, but he directs this parable primarily at the religious leaders of the Jewish community. And Jesus offends them right away. Verses 2 and 3. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Jesus is alluding to the tragic pattern of the entire Old Testament. God sent his servants, the prophets, to invite 
Israel, his people, to abide with him through obedience and faith and to look in hope for the coming Messiah for their ultimate redemption. But the people of Israel continually disregarded God's righteous commands and disregarded the prophets. Verses 4 through 6 say this, Again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. What is Jesus getting at? Well, God in his patient love continued to send servants to invite his people. He sends John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus himself comes and announces, repent from your sins, the the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus sends out his disciples to declare the good news. But God's chosen people, Israel, continue to pay no attention. Their possessions, their businesses, even their half-hearted religious rituals are more valuable to them. Jesus' description of these servants being mistreated and even killed vividly capture the real, persistent rejection of God's invitation of salvation. John the Baptist was killed. Jesus was treated shamefully and killed. The disciples were persecuted and some of them were killed. And during this parable, Jesus makes a passing comment that we could marvel at for much longer than we will. But verse 7 says this, The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Here, Jesus prophesies of God's coming judgment upon Jerusalem for their murderous rejection of their Messiah, the Savior. It's a terrible judgment that would happen about 40 years later, the destruction of the temple in the year 70 AD. And then Jesus continues his parable with verses 8 through 10. Then he said, he the king, then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. God's invitation to fellowship with him through the Son has now been extended to non-Jews as well. Go to the main roads. This is where the Gentiles would have passed through. Go and invite as many as you find. The invitation to the wedding feast now includes all nations. This is good news. But it is also a harsh truth that Jesus just presented to the Pharisees. Now let's examine Jesus' lesson through more modern eyes and understand what this means for us. 
As you recall, the parable was a scathing rebuke of the religious leaders. They claimed to be close to God. They claimed to know God, but they denied the Savior standing before them that God had promised. It doesn't matter that they knew the words of God or even that they belonged to God's chosen people, Israel. They were invited, but not chosen. And this is so important because knowledge of the invitation is not enough. Not then and not now. What do I mean? Well, you, you can know the details of the gospel, which is God's invitation. Doesn't mean that you're responding to that invitation, though. In the parable, those who were invited didn't come to the wedding feast of the Son. <clears throat> Kara and I have been married for coming up on 14 years now. And in the months leading up to our wedding, we sent out save the dates, and they were adorable. This was so people could circle their calendars and plan to come and celebrate with us. <clears throat> and then as the, the wedding date drew closer, we sent out the official invitations. They were also adorable. And as is custom, people were expected to RSVP to indicate that they had received the invitation and that they were committing to attend and celebrate with us. Now imagine that I invited my brother, which I did. I did. But imagine I invited my brother and he, and he didn't send an RSVP. He did, so I'm not trying to dig up dirt. This, this part is just imagine if, okay? But imagine if I, I didn't receive his RSVP. So I call my brother to ask him if he's coming. And imagine that my brother says this, Ah, yes, I did receive your invitation. I see here that you're getting married on August 31st in Fargo at 4 p.m. I also see that you're registered for gifts at Bed Bath & Beyond and Arby's. My brother's detailed knowledge of the invitation doesn't mean that he's attending this wedding. He's recalling all the details as it's posted on his fridge. But after all that, I would still have one remaining question. So, are you coming to the wedding? And that was Jesus' point to the Pharisees. They could recite the words of God, but they refused to respond to God's loving invitation to follow the Son in faith. And this is still true of the gospel today. Just like the Pharisees who heard this parable so long ago, there are lost people today who do not think they are lost. Perhaps you're familiar with John 3.16. And kids, if you know this, you can recite it along with me. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now that is an invitation. Come, trust in Jesus, believe in him, and you will have 
eternal life. Thousands, maybe millions of people have that verse memorized. Perhaps you do. Some people even have a tattoo of that verse. But knowing that verse, or even decorating yourself with that verse, doesn't mean that you are saved. Any more than wearing a cross necklace or having a cross tattoo. In fact, I've begun more than one instance of sharing the gospel with somebody by noticing a cross necklace and asking them what it means. And through a handful of questions, that person may reveal that he is lost and he is in a very real need to hear the true gospel. And it would be dangerous for his soul if I said to him, hey, I see you have a cross necklace. I'm so glad you know Jesus. That would be dangerous. Just this week even, a person struck up a conversation with me by telling me that he loved reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And then he quoted his favorite verse, which was exciting because it was my favorite verse in Ecclesiastes as well. But after listening to him talk for a few minutes, it became clear that his faith was not in Christ alone. So I began to ask some questions And I drew his attention to some major issues with his worldview along with his dilemma of claiming to follow Jesus while rejecting what Jesus taught about sin, heaven, hell, and Christ's exclusive offer of salvation. But here's the truth. It is both uncomfortable and loving to help a person examine his own heart and to discover whether or not he knows and embraces the true gospel or if he's lost and needs to be invited with the real gospel so that he may be saved. One read verses 9 and 10 again of this parable and hear the words of the king here. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. In the parable, the king's obedient servants were instructed not to show partiality and decide among themselves who gets invited. The king said, invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. In real terms, God commands his servants to invite everyone. Jews and Gentiles, that's all nations. Rich, poor, black, white, old, young, men, women. Clean, dirty, moral, immoral, everyone. Why? Because the Son deserves the highest honor. We desire to see every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, if you have accepted the invitation to partake in the eternal celebration of the Son's wedding, when I say wedding, I mean the eternal union of Jesus, the bridegroom, and his bride, 
the church. If you have already accepted that invitation, tune your ears to the king's command. Again in verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Does that sound familiar to anyone? After Jesus rose from the dead, he gathered his disciples and he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are commanded as God's servants, as those who already have a seat at the banquet, to go. Fulfill the Great Commission. Contribute to the wonderful picture of verse 10 of the parable. We want Christ to be celebrated by more and more redeemed sinners. We want the wedding hall filled with guests. And if you read this parable and you're picturing yourself as one of the guests, please understand this. More people need to be invited. Because God's servants, the ones who invite others to the wedding feast, they were once lost people who needed to be invited themselves. So who's going to be the one to invite your family or your friends or your classmates or your coworkers to come to Jesus for salvation and eternal life? Who's going to present the gospel? Is it not you? If you're members of the body of Christ, do not leave the work of sharing the gospel to others. God has chosen his servants to be his means of spreading the good news of Jesus. Paul, in the book of Romans, chapter 10, puts this this design of God right in our faces. This is what he says in verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now catch what Paul says here. How then will they call on him? in whom they have not believed? How, how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? Or how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Or reading that in reverse, we could say, if God's servant doesn't present the good news, the lost person won't hear it. And if he doesn't hear the gospel, he won't believe. And if he doesn't believe, how is he going to call on Jesus and be saved? We are given that responsibility. Now the conclusion of this wedding feast parable at first glance can feel out of place. But Jesus teaches the very core of the gospel in these final verses of this parable. Because the king has entered and he looks at the guests. And the Greek for look at means to see with discerning eyes. He is inspecting the guests closely. 
This is what verses 11 through 14 say. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Why is the king so severe with the man who is clothed in the wrong garment? Jesus literally just described hell as this man's destination. Remember now, <clears throat> Jesus has just preceded this exchange between the king and the man with the, the wrong garment <clears throat> by saying that the king's servants invited people off the street, right, at the last minute. You know, to say, come with me now. We, we must have a full crowd of guests to honor the sun. If anyone ever listens to this recording, thanks, Larry, for bringing that. People were invited off the street. Come and honor the sun. And if they came in off the street as they were, wouldn't it be odd to expect them to have a wedding garment? I mean, who would? They were just invited in. I mean, people are not walking around Fargo or Moorhead or West Fargo with an emergency ball gown or tuxedo tucked in a fanny pack ready for any last-minute wedding invitations. Am I right? I really hope I'm right. <laughs> Kids, if you have a fanny pack, please don't do what I just described. That'd be terrible. But what is so special about the right wedding garment? Well, the answer is found all the way back at the beginning of the world. Remember the fall, the fall of man? The serpent had deceived the woman into eating the forbidden fruit, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate as well. I want to read Genesis 3, verse 7. It says this, after they both ate. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both, that's both Adam and Eve, were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the man and woman were now stained with sin, 
and they make clothing for themselves to cover their shame. The Lord pronounces judgment because of their disobedience and sin has now poisoned the world. And then the Lord does something so gracious. Their their own garments won't do. They can't cover themselves. But God does something for Adam and Eve and it points us ultimately to Jesus. Jump down to Genesis 3 verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. The sinners made their own garments, but they were not acceptable to the Lord. The only acceptable garment to cover the sinners, that required a sacrifice. It's the first death recorded in Scripture. And it points us to Jesus. Because at the wedding feast of the Son, no one can wear their own garment. All who accept the invitation and are known by God are given wedding garments. They are given the wedding garments. They're not expected to bring their own. But this man didn't receive one. The man apparently wanted to attend the event, but perhaps he rejected the king's garment. Perhaps like Adam and Eve, he thought that his own garments were good enough. Perhaps he tried to sneak in among guests who had accepted the garment, hoping to blend in with the crowd. But no one is able to experience the wedding feast of the sun without the one acceptable garment. And that proper garment is the one given by the king. The one proper garment is the righteousness of Christ. This is the gift given to all who accept and respond to the invitation of the gospel with gladness. This is what honors the Son. So who are the lost? Well, every person who is not covered in the righteousness of Christ. And what is the joyful duty of God's servants? Invite everyone you find to come and celebrate and honor the Son. And it is our joyful duty to ensure that those who want to participate in the kingdom of heaven, it is our duty that they are informed that they can bring nothing of their own. Can't cover your own sin and enter the kingdom of heaven. Receive the garment provided by the king. That's the invitation. And it's the invitation that we sang together this morning. We sang these words. Venture on him. Venture holy. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your perfect plan of redemption. We thank you for not leaving us alone in our sin, but sending Jesus to die in our place, to take our sins, and not only that, but to give us his righteousness. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would help us to be those servants that 
Jesus spoke about to go and invite others to celebrate what you have done and to partake in the wedding feast of Jesus, to be in his presence forever. Help us to be soft-hearted but bold as we share the one true gospel of salvation. Trusting in you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.